Welcome to the Queen City Church Podcast. We're so excited that you decided to join us, and we wanted to personally welcome you. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our goal is that this message will encourage you and give you practical steps for a relationship with God that keep getting better and better. Enjoy the message. Like Brian said, my name is Josh Turner. Uh, I hail from Atlanta, Georgia, just me and Outcast, uh, hanging out a lot. Uh, I brought a picture of my family uh, to show you, just so you know. Um, that is my son, Aiden. He is 18 years old. He just graduated high school. He is a guide fly fishing in Montana right now down the Bighorn River. Um, we let him take a year off of school before he went into college. That is my wife, Becca. Uh, we've been married 17 years. If you can do math, I was not always serving Jesus. Um, I was at a prayer meeting at Florida State reading through the book of Leviticus, and she came in and seduced me, and we have a sign. Um, I can only say that when she does not travel with me, because that is not the case. Uh, and so we're about to celebrate 18 years of marriage. And then that is our daughter, Riley. I think last time I was here, I spoke about her. Riley uh, just got her first ever diagnosis. You can see she has a tracheostomy. She is in a wheelchair. Um, she sleeps on a ventilator at night. We have nurses that are supposed to get to our house at 10 p.m., leave at 6 a.m. Her diagnosis came back because of new genetic testing that came out in 2017. She's the 12th known case in the world. And um, yeah, when you find that out, you're just like, all right, man, you don't know what to do with it. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so that's my family and uh, I love them very much. And they're very gracious to let me travel the way that I do. I think my wife just secretly doesn't like me and wants me out of the house uh, a lot. But uh, it's an honor, man, to be here with you guys. And here's what I wanna do this morning. Um, this past year and even where we are right now, I think all of us can say have been very hard. Uh, there's some of us that are still sitting in situations that are very hard, and we're looking at them and saying, God, I, I really don't know what to do with this. God, I really don't know where to go from here. And God, I really don't know who you are in all of this. And so here's what I wanna do very simply this morning. I want to be a voice that just reminds you of how much God loves you. That's, that's all I wanna do because what ends up happening is things that happen to us can affect the way that we see things. I went to the uh, eye doctor, uh, this was a couple years ago, I started having problems with my vision. Like I was looking through everything and it felt like I was looking, like everything was a little off, a little blurry. And so I started going to all these different eye doctors and I'm like, I, you ever go to the doctor and you're like, I know something's wrong and they're like, you're fine. And I'm like, I know something's wrong. So I went to all these optometrists and ophthalmologists and all these things, everybody's like, your eyes are fine. And so I finally go to an ENT and they go, your sinuses are so bad that the pressure from your sinus cavities is pushing on your ocular nerve and distorting the way that you view things. Pressure can affect the way that we see things. And a lot of us this past year, and even today, we live in pressure. And we're in pressure right now. And pressure doesn't only affect our individual lives, but if we're not careful, listen, I went through 2019, and Brian knows this, 2019 and 2020 were the worst years of my life. 2019, I got betrayed by a spiritual father that I'd been with for 17 years. My, the same week I resigned from a church I was at for 17 years, my daughter gets her diagnosis that she's a 12th known case in the world. We lose all of our Medicaid in the state of Florida and have to move to Georgia. That was one week in 2019. So when I say my life exploded in one week, it exploded, and that pressure caused me to look at Jesus a different way. That pressure caused me to read scripture a different way, and if I'm honest, I still do it from time to time. 
And I, I was praying for you guys this morning, and I was praying for myself, and I actually said, and this is one of the weird things of being a preacher, God, let me believe all the things that I'm saying today. I know it's true, right? I know biblically it's true because God's word trumps my feelings. But sometimes it's hard to get what you know in your mind to your heart. And so it's literally, I'm praying for you guys saying, God, I just pray that you would soften their hearts for what it is that you want to speak to them. And also, God, as I preach this word, let me, let me believe it. Let me feel this in my heart and not just in my mind. So just know that as I share this with you today, I'm also like encouraging myself in it because pressure makes us see things differently. And so I just want to encourage you this morning on how much God loves you. And I think the best picture of that, besides Jesus and what he did on the cross, because that is the ultimate picture, is the story of the prodigal son. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Luke 15, 11 through 24. If you don't, it'll be on the jumbotron behind me. I believe that this is one of the most beautiful depict, and I'll be honest, it's very hard for me to wrap my mind around this sort of love. It's very difficult for me, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit. But I believe this is one of the most beautiful, accurate pictures of the Father's heart that is in Scripture. And what I want you to know that as we read through this, we are all the Son. All of us. And we, we don't want to think of ourselves that way. We want to say, God, today I woke up and did my Devo. And Lord, I journaled, and I said, dear diary. And, like, and, I, and I wrote, Lord, what you were speaking to me. But I want you to know as we read this and kind of break it down a little bit, that all of us are the son. It starts out this way. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money on wild living. Immediately, we have to realize this is a big deal. This isn't a son just going to his father and saying, I want my inheritance. What he is doing in this moment is he is going to his father and saying, Dad, I don't care whether you're alive or dead. I want what's mine. He is dishonoring massively his father in this moment. It's basically a slap in the face. He's basically saying, I don't care what you've done for me up to this point. I don't care how you've loved me. I don't care how you've raised me. I don't care the things that you've given me. All I want is what you have already set aside for me. Give it to me. And the father gives it to him. And then the son takes the gifts of his father and sets off for a land that is far away from the father's heart. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever taken the gifts that God has used, given you and misused them? Ever said anything with the gift of speech that the Lord has given you to shame somebody else? Ever use it to say a cuss word? I'm just playing, I cuss all the time. <laughs> Some of you are like, I gotta go, I can't, this is too much. <laughs> but we all take, Brian also left out that one of my other traits is I'm very inappropriate. Um, so I appreciate the honor, but we both know. Um, but we do this. All of us take the gifts that God has given us and we set out at some point in our life to a land that is far away from the Father's heart. And that's what we see the Son do in this moment. And it goes on. 
It says, about this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so angry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. You know what I've learned in life? I'm I'm 40 years old. I've aged well. And... um, Some of you didn't know what to do with that. You're like, I don't like that joke. And you haven't. You look like a baseball glove. Um, Here's one of the things I've learned in life at 40 years old. Sin looks better from a distance. And I think the reason that sin looks better from a distance is because we can romanticize it. We can look at it from far away. And think about this. When you're daydreaming about something sinful, which I know no one here at Queen City would do. It's the next service that they do that sort of stuff. Not the nine o'clock, this is where the saints come. But let's just say hypothetically that you were daydreaming of something that you knew was a little sinful. You don't ever think of the repercussions. You don't ever think of it. Do you know how many marriages cite Facebook in their divorce papers these days? A ton. Because what's happening is somebody is looking at somebody that used to be their ex saying, I bet that person would make me feel different. And we romanticize it. We think about the way things could be. We dream about it. The grass always looks greener on the other side. And so I think the son, as he is sitting there dreaming about the distant land as a young boy, he's thinking, man, I'm gonna go out there. It's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna party. I'm gonna have a good time. I'm gonna know some girls. It's gonna be fun. He's not thinking about everything that could happen. He's romanticizing it. And what we've got to remember, and I'm sure that you have heard this phrase, that sin will always take you further than you're wanting to go, and it will always cost you more than you're willing to pay. At some point, it's going to happen. And I think that's what's happening to this young Jewish boy, because he's in a pig pen feeding pigs. Now, to us, that may not seem like a huge deal, but you have to understand this is a Jewish boy. And to Jewish people, pigs were ceremonially unclean animals. They weren't even to be around them, much less touch them, much less care for them, much less be in the same pig pen that they're in, longing to eat the food that the very ceremonially unclean animal is eating. So here is a young boy who gets his inheritance, the gifts from his father, sets out to a distant land to party, famine hits, and now he's in a pig pen, a part of a ceremonially unclean animal, looking at the things that that animal is eating, saying, I wish I could eat that. He didn't see this coming. And that's what sin does to us. I'm a big fisherman. Sin is the fish with the fish hook. It's the lure with the fish hook. It looks good, but there is a cost associated. I'll never forget my old pastor. We were talking about a bunch of pastors um, that they end up having affairs. And if you've had an affair in there, this is not to shame or beat anybody up. Everybody makes mistakes. I'll never forget, he said one thing to me. He said, if you ever think about it, He said, think it's about sitting down, looking your children in the eye and explaining to them what you've done. And that has stayed with me because whatever fleeting momentary thought I could have about something, there's nothing that's worth that. And I always, when I think of things that lure me or temptations that I have, I always try to remind myself of the repercussions of what comes with that. And I think what we see in this moment is we see a young man, he romanticized sin from far away. He looked at it and said, man, if I can just get to that distant land, then I'm gonna gonna have fun. 
So let me just ask you, what is that for you? And we all have that distant land, right? Like we all have that thing that like we know is not from the Lord, but it lures us. And if you don't, after service, would you come pray for me? Uh, because you have an anointing that I don't know about yet. And so in this moment, so it goes on to say this. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. What I love about this is what brings him to his senses is remembrance of his father's goodness. He doesn't say, this is terrible, I lost all my money, and now, you know, whatever. He thinks and goes, man, even at home, dad always took care of the servants. They actually always had enough to eat, and so it's actually the remembrance of his father's goodness that leads him back to his dad. So what's amazing to me about this, and maybe this is just the way I read scripture, I feel like his, his speech, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You ever been caught doing something, and you know that you're gonna have to give an explanation of the thing that you got caught doing, so you prepare your response in advance? So when they say, why did you do that? I'm gonna say, well, listen, here's what happened. The traffic was really bad, and I swerved around somebody. I hit them. That's why I'm late to work, and I wasn't able to make it. Like, you prepare your response I feel like the son, this is what he's doing. He was working out his response because what he is expecting is a father that when he gets home wants an explanation. He's expecting a dad that's gonna be like, what do you have to say for yourself? Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I bet you he rehearsed it a little bit. As he's walking back, father, that's too much, I can't do that. Father, you know, like, and he just keeps going down like all these different things. And I think what he's expecting is an angry father. He's expecting, I told you so. He's expecting, you squandered everything I worked for. He's expecting anger and frustration. And I think that's probably what a lot of us expect with God. That at times when we make mistakes, that when we don't do the things that we know we should do, that God's up in heaven just waiting on us, and so we kind of, you ever, <laughs> you ever plan your prayer before you sin to ask for forgiveness? See, the laughter makes me know that some of you have. <laughs> I won't point at you, but we almost made eye contact when you made that noise. You're on my right side and I think you're wearing a black shirt. Um, but <laughs> he's like, I'm never coming back. Um, but we do these sort of things because what we expect and what we've been taught at times, depending on how you grew up and what denomination and how your parents were, is we expect an angry father. But I think what he finds when he returns home is very different than what he was expecting. And here's what I want you to know. What he finds is what we find. And this is what God is saying. God is saying, hey, when this boy returns home to his dad, this is what you guys actually find when you return home to me. So I'm gonna give you three things. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these down. The first thing that he finds when he returns home is he finds a father that was waiting. A father that was waiting. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, 
His father saw him coming. If you have your Bibles, I want you to underline long way off. You know, I don't, I don't think there was a day, I don't think the son left and the father was like, I'm just not gonna do anything for the rest of my life. I'm just gonna sit on the porch. I'm not gonna take care of the sheep. I'm not gonna mend the fences. I'm not gonna do whatever I need to do. I'm just gonna sit here. I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm not gonna do anything. I think the father probably went back to work. I mean, obviously we know that this is a smart businessman because he has an inheritance to split between his two sons. But I also don't think that there was a day that he wasn't out working with the flock or doing whatever he was doing that he did not have one eye fixed on the horizon. That he wasn't looking for his son to break the horizon. And the reason that I think that is because let me ask you a question. How do you usually see things from a long way off? The majority of the time that you see things from a long way off, you have to be looking for them in the first place. So I think that this father, he's out there doing what he does with his sheep, or he's out there doing what he does with the crops, but he keeps glancing at the horizon because he knows there's going to be a day where he's going to see the silhouette of his son crest over that horizon. And I want you to know that that's how it is with God. That God is waiting and so many times we end up giving up on ourselves or other people end up giving up on us but you have a father that is doing the other things that he is doing around the world but he is also looking out at the horizon for you to come back. And that's one of the things that we need to remember and then I'll tell you something right now that is so, I think, important. I think the only reason that the son ever had the thought in the first place to return to his father is because the Holy Spirit was working in his heart. The only reason that you and I ever, ever have a relationship with God is because God is already stirring something in his son in the first place. And I think the son, the father is out there and he's working and he's doing things. He's going any day now, any day. I know what was planted in him, the way that I raised him, that he won't be able to escape it. One day he's going to come back home. That's what God's doing with you. And I know that you may be sitting at church at nine o'clock on a Sunday, but it's also possible to be sitting in a chair and still very far away from God. And I've been there. Here's the other thing that gets me about this. I love, listen to this. While he was a long way off, his father saw him coming. I want you to think about this with me. So when the son leaves to the distant land, he had just gotten his inheritance. We know it had to be a good bit of money. How many of you know, I know no one here goes to clubs, but if you were to go out one night to a place that you had been preparing to go for a while and you were really looking forward to it, how would you dress? Good. You put on your nicest and you're ready to roll. I think when this son left, he had like that purple robe on. You know what I'm saying? Like pop. Like he's out there, like he's going to the distant land. He's like, peace. You know, he's like wild living as he's going. He looks good. Money just falling out of his pockets. I don't know what they had back then. Doubloons, those are pirates. And so like, so he's, he's going, he looks good. He's put together well. I mean, he got his inheritance. He's going to the place that he dreamed of going. The place that he went, he wanted to go so bad he was willing to dishonor his father. When he comes back, He comes back from a pig pen. He comes back filthy. He comes back dirty. He comes back starving. How many of you know the son that left probably did not look a lot like the son that returned? And he probably walked by people that knew him and they didn't recognize him because the son that left doesn't look like the son that returns. 
But the father immediately recognizes his son. Listen to me. You may have people in your life telling you that they don't even know who you are anymore, that you've changed, that you're different, that you've made too many mistakes, that you've whatever. I want you to know the moment that you begin to walk back to your father, he knows exactly who you are. And other people's words are not your identity. Your father in heaven is the one that gives you your identity. So he finds, the first thing he finds is a father that was waiting. The second thing that he finds is he finds a father that was running. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. So right off the bat, you've gotta realize that men back in this time, especially of men of this stature, it was considered undignified to run. They carried themselves very regally. They carried themselves very well. So for a man to see his son who has betrayed him, who has slapped him in the face, the Bible says that he takes off running. Already, this is a big deal. Because the father is saying, I love my son so much that I don't care how undignified I become to get to him. I'm just gonna get to him. The other thing that's interesting, that word compassion, if you underline that in your Bible, in the Greek, that word is the word splagnizomai. And what that means is to have such an emotion, to have such a feeling, to have such love, to have such like a guttural response that when you see the thing or the person that gives you that compassion, you have to react. Like you cannot stand still. So when this father sees his son, there is such an emotion in him that he literally cannot stand still. He has to move. Now what's interesting, every time you read in scripture that they were like sheep without a shepherd and Jesus had compassion on them. And Jesus looked out onto the crowd and had compassion on them. That's the same word in the Greek. So what it's telling us is every time that Jesus looked at a crowd of hurting and broken people, his response was the same guttural response that this father had at his lost son. And that Jesus that he must move to us. So when you're in your suffering and you're in your heartache and you're in your brokenness and you go before Jesus and you go, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, God. He has such compassion for you that he has to move towards you. That's who he is. That's his identity. So what I always ask myself is, if that is who Jesus is, then why do so many people want nothing to do with him? There's two things. I think one, us as the church in general have done a terrible job at representing the heart of Jesus, amen? Like, some, have you ever met a Christian person and you're like, you're a terrible human being. Like, I don't like, God love you, but I wanna punch you in the mouth right now. I do, all the time. Um, and so your whole church just judge me, Brian. Um, so I think that is one of them. And I think sometimes for us as people, and the best way I know to explain it is we've confused Zeus and God. That we think God is up in heaven and he's like sitting with a thing of lightning bolts going, do it again. See what happens. One more mistake, boom, hemorrhoids. You got them now, you know what I mean? <laughs> Quits. <laughs> you got him now. Quit sinning. I mean, that, but that's what we think a little bit. Probably not with the hemorrhoids part, but you get what I'm saying. Like, but that's what we think. 
We think that's who God is. And, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, Brian and I were talking about this last night. This is my greatest struggle. This is my greatest struggle. I've been in counseling for 13 years. I just went to a week of on-site with a bunch of pastors, which is intensive therapeutic counseling for, for five days. Some of you are like, good, you need it. And so like for five days, and I'm talking to the counselor, and I said, I know God loves me. I know Jesus loves me. I know all that here. I said, but why do I feel like he loves me more when I do what's right? Anybody ever felt that way? That's our, because that's the way we're ingrained. I grew up in a household. I have a great relationship with my parents now. But I felt like my parents loved me more when I did what was right. When I got good grades, I felt like mom and dad loved me more. When I made mistakes, there was no grace. So here's what we do as people. We take the way that we were raised and without meaning to, we place it upon God. So I'm a person that if I'm honest and I have to remind, this is why I said, I prayed that God would remind me of this truth today and not the way that I feel. Because when you live up under, if I do good, then God loves me more, then what happens when you make a mistake? Hemorrhoids. (laughs) You're waiting on the other shoe to drop. You're waiting on God to beat you up. You're waiting on something to happen because of what you have done. And the Bible is very clear, that is not our father. That is not who he is. So please hear me in this. If you're like me and there's this part of you that you're like, God, when I screw up, I feel like you're going to whatever. That's not how the gospel works anymore. Because all the things that you and I deserve Jesus has already paid for. So God's not going, do it again. He's saying, you've already done it again, and my son's already paid for it. So he finds a father that was running. The third thing that he finds is a father that was embracing. Waiting, running, and embracing. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. If you have your Bibles, underline that word, kissed him. And I think that when we think of that, we think he just ran up, gave him a kiss on the cheek. That phrase, kissed him, in the Greek is the word cataphilio. It's not just a kiss, it means he kissed him fervently. He kissed him all over. And I bet the son was super confused in this moment. I bet what the son was expecting, and if I'm honest, what I expect at times, and I think what a lot of us expect at times, is a father that's running to us and goes, whoa, 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 you're filthy. Do you know where you've been? Do you know what's on you right now? Here's what I'm gonna do, son. You go clean yourself up, then I'll embrace you. But what we see, and this is Jesus telling this story about his father. We see a father that runs to a son that has dishonored him. He grabs him in his filth, coming from a pigsty, traveling by foot, covered in slop, and begins to kiss all over him. I'll never forget the moment that God embraced me like that. One of the things that I've prayed is, God, don't ever let me forget who I was before you saved me. I made a joke that I do have a 17, or I have an 18 year old and been married 17 years. My parents did not handle that well. We are a very, if you cannot tell by my accent, we are a very Southern family. 
And so I felt like God was ashamed of me. I felt like God was disappointed in me. I felt like I went to Florida State University. I made terrible decisions at Florida State. I never forget going to church. My son, he had leg surgeries when he was born. He had to wear casts from the time he was a month old to the time he was a year. This guy I worked with invited me to church. I was, went to church. I am hungover from Saturday night. I know no one at Queen City has ever been down that road, but I was hungover, David. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> I was hungover from Saturday night. And it was the first time that we had walked into a church that was like Queen City. I grew up Methodist. Like the, the organ player was like 95. And you didn't know if she was gonna make it through the, the third stanza. You know, boom, she's dead, she's gone, she's with Jesus now. Like, so we go into like, this church that I was a part of, everybody's got their hands in the air, super jacked, handsome worship leader up there leading. And I'm like, oh, this is a cult. I've walked, this is literally my thought, I've walked into a cult. So we go in, I'm sitting on the right, my son's on the left, he just gotten his cast off for the last time. And my wife's on his other side. And people have their hands in the air, crying, the intelligent lights are going, haze. You cannot have the Holy Spirit without haze. And so like haze is filling the room. And I can remember, hey, I feel terrible because I have a hangover. I'm standing there like this. And I'm watching this person across from me. And I'm going, this is obviously not what I'm looking for. I, I, I've been searching for some, but this is not it. I, I'm just gonna go back to partying, doing whatever I do. As I'm having this thought standing like this, I look at my son. He had pushed himself up on the seat and was standing like this. Some men look really cool when they cry and tough. I am not one of those men. I lost it. For the first time in my life, I felt grace. And I felt like, and that's been a long time ago now. And what I felt like God said to me in that moment was, son, I know where you've been. Son, I know what you've been doing. And I'm just glad that you're home. And there's some of you, listen to me, you may be in church right now, but you, you, you know if you're in the distant land. You know that if you're far away from God. Sometimes church people, man, we are the best at faking it. Aren't we? I know how to play the game. A lot of us in here, we know how to play the game. But the question is, is in your heart, where are you with Jesus? Where are you with God? You know what's so interesting about this story of the prodigal son? What he does, let me read to you what he deserved. This is what the Bible says in Deuteronomy that he deserved. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, if his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town, they shall say to the elders, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us, he is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. 
You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. What the son deserved was death. What the son deserved was to be stoned to death by the elders at the city gate. But the beautiful thing is, is if anybody had picked up a stone to throw it at the son, they would have hit the father that was embracing him. If anybody, listen to me, if anybody were to pick up a stone and throw it at you right now, so to speak, they would hit the father who embraced you through Jesus Christ. So you and I, we are the son when we leave and we are the son when we return. And you and I, where are you right now? Where are you with Jesus? And listen, there is nothing that you can do, have done, or will do that will ever cause God to go, you're too dirty. I I know, I know, God, but there's nothing. And listen, I'm preaching that to myself as much as I'm preaching it to you. Because I know all the things that lurk in my heart. I know all the places I still struggle. I know all the places that I'm like, God, you you have this moment, God, I should be better than this by now. God, I should be whatever by now. What if God's going, calm down, man. This thing's a marathon. So so here's all I want to do this morning. You know where you are. You know. And you may, I don't care if you're on the dream team. Like, you know where you are. Sometimes people hide so well by becoming over-involved in church. And that's one of the things I love about your pastor is I know that if he saw that in you, he ain't gonna let it happen. Some of the most unhealthy people I've ever met are people that are at everything the church always does. And it's really because they don't wanna deal with what God's doing in their heart, so they're actually trying to serve to justify the things that they continue to do. As if it's like a pros and cons, God's like, well... They watch some porno, but they're on guest services, so it cancels out, right, Jesus? And Jesus is like, I don't think it works that way, God. But we, that's how we work in our heads at times, right? That's not how God loves us. God loves us as much as he can all the time. And I just want to give you a chance to respond to that this morning. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a chance to commit or recommit your life to Christ. And so many people want to get wrapped up in, is it once saved, always saved? Can I lose my salvation? I have no idea. And neither does anybody. What I always say is this. If God speaks to your heart, just respond to it. Like whatever that means for you. If you're like, man, I'm, I'm in a good spot right now and I feel like I'm, praise God when people's hands go up. Just pray for those people. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And what that means is that every person who's ever walked on this earth apart from Jesus, we all need a savior, all of us. Because without a savior, our sins separated us from God. 
But God loved us so much, not because we were so bad, but because God loved us so much. He sent his son to pay for the things that you and I could not pay for so that we could be embraced by him, forgiven of our sins, welcomed into eternity and made whole. And that's one of the beautiful things about Jesus. Jesus not only forgave us of our sins by what he did on the cross, but he also gave us his righteousness. So you and I are now righteous, not because of the things that we do or do not do. You and I are now righteous because of everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. That's the gospel. That we were sinners who were separated from God and God saved us, forgave us of our sins, and then Jesus gave us his righteousness. And the Bible tells us that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God, that in that moment you are reconciled to God. You are brought into right standing. You are embraced by God. So if you're in this place this morning, wherever you are, say, Josh, I need to commit or recommit my life to Christ. Whatever that, like, just you know what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, you know where you are. I'm gonna count to three. I'm asking you to raise your hand and that's it. If you need to commit or recommit your life to Christ, I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and that's it. One, two, three. Raise them. Amen, brother. Amen. 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 God, we thank you that you are a good God. God, we thank you that when we do things that are far away from your heart, God, not only do you wait on us, but you pursue us. And the only reason that we would ever return to you in the first place, God, is that you have been hunting us down. Thank you, God, that you love us so much. Jesus, thank you that you could have gotten off that cross, but you decided to stay on it for each and every individual person in this room. Thank you, God, that you are a good God. I'm gonna just say a prayer, and I just want, can just all of us repeat this after me? And let's say it like we mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. Jesus, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are the son of God, that you were crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected for me. Save me, Jesus. Be the Lord of my life. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has changed your perspective on God or life, feel free to email your story to info at queencitypeople.com. We'd love to celebrate the change happening in your life. We'd also love to pray for you. If you have any prayer requests, big or small, head over to queencitypeople.com slash prayer and fill out the form with as much detail as you'd like. For more information about Queen City Church's service times, location, or events, visit queencitypeople.com or follow us on social media platforms at queencitypeople.com. 